Welcome to the Influence Factory podcast. This program is dedicated to support professionals who have a desire to develop their digital business influence so they can navigate through a fast-paced, constantly growing digital world. We invite newcomers as well as our family of business influencers to a place to play, share ideas, questions, tips, and guidance with other thought leaders around the globe. Sit back and enjoy our program with our host, Dean Delisle, as he interviews guests. News and commentary is provided by Kate Hassett and Jackson Delisle. Power Move lessons are provided by the Influencer Marketing Department at Social Jack. And production, editing, and distribution is provided by the Social Jack production team. All right, so this week on the Influencer News Update, we're talking about social media basics, the correct image sizes and dimensions and file types to use when you're posting and sharing images, graphics, and you know content on social. So <clears throat> first up, we're going to talk about Facebook. And a Facebook uh, profile picture, a lot of people think, has to be um, you know very high res, but the thumbnail only shows as 180. And so anything above 180 by 180 is going to be great because because it's optimized for web. So it'll load faster and it will also, um, well, the bigger the image, obviously the more detail and stuff you can get in there, but the thumbnail is still only going to show as 180 by 180. Uh, And it can be bigger than that. You just have to maintain that same square aspect ratio. Um, And then when you're posting uh, your cover photo, you want to make sure that's 820 by 312 and that's important because a lot of times people will put information in their uh, cover photos. Like, like I have the podcast in mind on a lot of my cover photos. So having those correct dimensions keep from having uh, you to cut out certain parts of the image. You get to see the whole image. So make sure that when you're doing that uh, or when you're uploading a new cover or any social media, you're using these uh, dimensions because they're going to be optimized. You'll be able to see things in a preview image, like scrolling through your feed. Nothing will get cut out like, um, uh, 1200 by 630 pixels. So that's going to be when you're posting images in your feed, you want, you want them to be able to show up in the preview image. And, um, you know, the, it, this is a uh, pretty standard for like all across the board. It's going to be around the same. It's not exactly the same because Twitter shows them they're a little bit more narrow and things like that. Um, yeah, and, and we're going to post all these in uh, the group on social media and in the show notes. And Kate, you, uh, you deal with a lot of this. One thing I want to address is that some people use automated platforms. Some people do different types of posting. Some of us post from phones. Jackson, you're, you're very uh, pixel savvy, but some of the rest of us are not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is super helpful that we'll put out for everybody. Uh, but Kate, what are some of the challenges you see with, you know, all these different, you know, pixel for this type of thing and this type of thing? It still feels confusing. Yeah, so I think the the best rule of thumb is always to try to find a profile picture, whether it's a company page or a personal page, that's as close to a perfect square as you can get. Um, of course, Instagram is a circle, but it's still going to formulate into that into that square picture best. So always look for the perfect square. A lot of times we see company pages like to go with just the logo as their profile picture because it's that perfect square. It's going to be nice. It's going to be high res to what Jackson said. It's 
that's going to convert well on mobile and web, and then use their cover photo to kind of generate more space. Now, LinkedIn has made some changes recently to their company pages to where their cover photos are kind of obsolete. They're very small, particularly on mobile. So that's something to keep in mind. But I think at the end of the day, you just know that you have to test. You have to test it on mobile. You have to test it on desktop. You have to look at all of the different platforms on on both screens to make sure that it looks good. Because of course, on LinkedIn, when you're on desktop, the profile picture is on the left-hand side. But then when you go to mobile, it's in the middle. So you just want to make sure it's not going to look great on all platforms. But if you know where your audience generally hangs out, if it's LinkedIn on mobile, you know how to test and you know how to place your cover photo. So like anything with marketing, you got to kind of trial and error, figure it out for yourself. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to ask too, Jackson, you create a lot of cover photos for us, right? Uh, On those images. And like Kate was saying, I know the people on the podcast can't see, but on the forward progress site, we have a patterned cover photo. And sometimes even though we like to announce things on cover photos, I think that those pattern cover photos or skylines or things that are a little less, you know, without words, like Kate says, those things move around. So when you're building a cover photo, um, are you technically doing a different one for LinkedIn for us than when you do one for Facebook and Twitter or how different are they? Uh, yes and no. So basically what I'll do is, uh, personally, I use uh, Photoshop just because it'll export in a higher quality image, you'll, you'll get more, uh, you know, uh, depth to the text and the, you know, if you want to do drop shadows, all that stuff. So that's what I use when I'm doing things like this. Um, and I'll create the base image for it, or I'll find, you know, uh, you know, an image or purchase an image for it. And then from there, I'll start with the biggest one and I'll work to the smallest one and then I basically just resize and save a new copy. And then I'll keep resizing the image to be smaller and smaller. Because once you go from it being smaller, it's harder to bring it back to being bigger. Uh, just right. because you're crunching these pixels and then you are spreading them out again. And it's like, it's kind of like in Guardians of the Galaxy when they went through and they were going through all the different time jumps and they're like morphing and their eyes are gigantic, you know, like that. It's kind of like that, <laughs> but, with, but, with, but with pixels. <laughs> so, um, uh, but well, yeah, and- <laughs> so that, that, that's basically the easiest answer, the simplest answer. But I, you know, I would recommend always using a PNG as opposed to a JPEG image, just because it is going to be a higher quality image. Some uh, sites, you know, uh, it, depending on the size, if you're working with like uh, 4K dimensions, uh, sometimes won't let you upload uh, like for certain things. Like uh, a lot of times they're pretty good about it, but sometimes they're like, hey, this image is a little too big. Uh, to, you know, upload into our site. You're going to like break the site basically. Um, 
So, and you know, it also has to do with, it's a web page and it's got to load every time you, they click on your page, those things have to load. And the bigger the images are, the longer it's going to take to load, especially if you're on, uh, you know, mobile, like on your phone, not using Wi-Fi, and you're at a sporting event and you're scrolling through Twitter, things are going to load slower, the bigger the image is because you're, you know, using weaker, uh, signal strength. So, yeah, yeah. that's good. And then, Kate, you guys use Canva a lot too, right? So, we do. Uh, like in a pinch, yeah. So, I mean, I know that there's benefits to, to both. Like Jackson said, with um, uh, Photoshop. yeah, Photoshop, you get just the you know higher res stuff, but it takes a little longer. But Canva works just as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you are making high quality images and you want to invest in a program like Adobe Spark or Photoshop, absolutely um, more power to you. But if you're sitting there saying, I don't know where I would start to make cover photos, I highly suggest you check out Canva. I am nowhere near a graphic designer um, and I can make it work. I can make high quality cover photos myself. A lot of times it gives you the dimension that you need, um, and it gives you free templates. Now they have paid versions. They have versions where you can pay for higher quality images and piece together what you like, but the free version does very well for you making, um, you know, cover photos, social media graphics, lots of things that you can use if your needs are very low. So I highly, highly suggest Canva. Uh, we talk about it a lot on here. I know we've posted it before, but it's a, it's a great free tool. Yeah, I uh, I would just like to add. So with Canva, the only uh, you know, it's it's basically an app that you can log into, you know, on on the web. So it's a web based app. So it doesn't take up any room on your uh, laptop except for when you export the images. So that's that's a really cool feature of it, as well as. Um, and we're not even sponsored by Canva. I just love it. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but. The coolest thing I would say is, or uh, the one thing that I would say to watch out for is uh, sometimes, you know, they have to push an update uh, when they want things to change. And if the social media changes every day, there's a new thing on social media every day. So if those dimensions change, you might not be able, they might, their, you know, set template, their set dimensions. If you click, I want to create a LinkedIn cover photo then those dimensions might be obsolete by that point. So that's why you got to make sure you're using the most up-to-date ones. Uh, As of right now, it's uh, 1584 by 396. uh, And Canva actually just, uh, you know, updated their entire platform. So it's all up-to-date. Things uh, are working, you know, in sync with everything else. So uh, definitely a cool thing to do. And then if you have the Adobe Creative Cloud, then you already have Adobe Spark and you can use that. It's basically the same thing. The only other thing that they do is they allow you to also work with videos. You can create videos optimized for social. So anything anyone would like to add, Dean? Yeah, Julie Clark had an interesting question that I don't know the answer to. Are the cover photos different? Do they look different on Android than iPhones? I don't know the answer to that. Um, no, uh, I mean, I've with, it's just like the app, you know what I mean? So the app usually looks the exact same on both phones. Uh, sometimes, uh, placement will be, uh, different, but the layout of the like profile is the same. So like just settings and other, you know, like your, if you want to expand like the settings bar and all that stuff, that's the stuff that's different. 
but the actual layout of the profile is the same. Gotcha. Good to know. Yeah. Um, all right. So that is all for the uh, influencer news update this week. Make sure to catch us on social throughout the week. Uh, I am at Jackson Delisle on Twitter. Dean is at Dean Delisle and Kate is at Kate Hassett. Can't get easier than that. And uh, you can tweet to the company page at, at Get Social Jack. And uh, if you want to uh, engage with us on uh, YouTube, if you have any questions that you uh, have on certain episodes, make sure to leave a comment or uh, download the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and Castbox. So and Spotify. Did I say Spotify? <laughs> now you did. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah. So then, uh, make sure to you know tweet to us what type of articles you want to see. We'll make sure to get those in the show, and we'll make sure to get the all the materials that we talked about today posted in the Facebook group, and I'll tweet them out as well. So thank you. This week's influencer guest is a new media influencer, host of the New Media Summit, founder of Liquor.com, a New York Times bestselling author, host of Reinvention Radio, and broadcasting live from sunny San Diego. Steve Olsher, how you doing? What's up, buddy? How you doing, man? <laughs> You're previously a Chicagoan. I am. I did my time. 44 years. Time served. I'm done. So when you were here, were you Cubs fan or Sox fan? Uh, Northsider Cubs fan yeah, for North sure. Sider. Yeah, so good. I was, always have to ask that too. Now, so did you change to a Padres fan or doesn't matter? I do a few games. Uh, actually, I haven't been this year. They're playing pretty well with Machado and a few of the kids that they picked up, but uh, nope, haven't been yet this year. Yeah, cool. So, uh, how long ago did you move? Uh, 2014. And wow, uh, should have done it probably 20 years before that, but you know, we do it when we do it. Yeah, right. So, uh, but that's good. You still have family here. So I still have family in Chicago for sure. <laughs> well, it gives them a good place to visit. It gives them a good place to visit. Yeah, it does. And and we have an extra room here for mom and mom comes to visit quite often. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, so it's funny, you and I talked a little bit before the show, you know, I have uh, uh, my roots are, uh, you know, on the street and being a street guy and things like that. And I did a little uh, digging and I've known you for quite some time. And uh, so I found a, a picture on your website, uh, steveulsher.com, of you standing in front of a 280ZX with your gold gym shirt on. And it, it, it reflected back to when I had hair. And, you know, it was somewhat, I'm not sure if that was a perm or not. But uh, it's funny, you made a comment about, um, I might have sold you a pair of speakers. And then I remember back then I had actually bought a pair of speakers. (laughs) (laughs) I might have been the guy. Yeah. Yeah, And I was selling fax machines. So, you know, it's no different at the time. So it's like, hey buddy, I I got a fax machine. (laughs) Well, I I guess um, just for clarity's sake here, when I say, and when you say sold a a pair of speakers, that would be out of the back of a van, not like a legit, you know, store where you would buy a pair of speakers. This was like out of the back of a van kind of thing. So uh, I, w- I was that guy for for a, for a hot minute. Not not too long, but for a minute or two. Yeah, and sometimes you just do what you got to do to survive or make it to the next gig, right? Hey, it certainly honed my selling skills, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and it was easier than door-to-door encyclopedias. That's what my dad did. Yeah, right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> You'd always say you'd have to do 100 dials and 20 door knocks to get one, you know, set of encyclopedia so 
Yeah, the power of go for no, right? Right, exactly. So, so, um, so before we get into, you know, we've got a little snapshot of who you are today. And whenever I think about questions about podcast and this podcast and helping clients, I always think about, you know, what would Steve do? What does Steve mm-hmm. say? Things like that. And before that, I knew you as this reinvention guy, which I love because when, uh, you know, again, I want to thank you for making me part of Internet Profits. But when you did that and you actually introduced me on stage, it wasn't anything we had ever talked about. And you just really helped me with an identity piece that at that time I was, I I didn't realize who I was, but you clearly articulated who I was. So you were this really cool person that I think has, that I know has, has helped reinvent a lot of people. But before we get to that, how did you get to where you are today, you know, and we got some, a little bit of time here, but I'd like you to take us through the journey of you building your influence to where you are today. Yeah. You know, um, you, you mentioned some of the early entrepreneurial endeavors. I mean, it started actually long before selling speakers out of the back of a van. Um, and being in Chicago, you get a nice snowfall. And as a kid, you grab a shovel and try to go door to door and see if you can shovel some sidewalks and driveways. I don't know, man, just always been, always been wired to to try to make that dollar. And, um, I don't know where it comes from. You know I mean? People say that, you know, you can teach people how to be entrepreneurs. I'm I'm not sure that you can't, you know, I think, I think entrepreneurs are, are born and they're not, they're not made. You can hone skills, but I think either you have that, that, that gene or whatever it is, uh, that allows you to take those types of risks and, and be that entrepreneur or you don't. Um, so I don't know, man, you know, it's, it's just been a really interesting trek literally from the time, like I said, I was old enough to pick up a shovel and move some snow around or a rake and move some leaves around to DJing in clubs and opening up my own nightclub when I was 19. It was a non-alcoholic nightclub, uh, but raising capital for that and, uh, and opening the doors of my own place uh, it's just been, it's been a really interesting trek. And over the years, um, I think, God, I think if you name it, I, I've done it, which is from catalogs to dot coms. And I mean, you'll appreciate this. And we've talked about this. Um, we, we launched on CompuServe's electronic mall. In That's right. I forgot about that. Oh yeah. So we, we launched one of the first fully functionally commerce sites in 95, two years after we went on to CompuServe and that became liquor.com. Uh, in 98 when I picked up that domain. And so uh, that was an interesting period of time. I'd actually worked with mom, uh, my mom for about nine years during that time. And that company, liquor.com, provided worldwide gift delivery of wine and champagne and spirits and gift baskets. And I uh, got caught up on the dot-com hype and brought in these lettered saviors to take us to the IPO promised land. And uh, we had the S1 filed and we were ready to go public in March of 2000. And, uh, and that's, of course, when everything imploded in that first, you know, really big bubble. That was the original, original recession. Right. Um, and, and, I, and I walked away from everything, including the domain for, uh, you know, for years. And I uh, got into real estate development after that. because That's where uh, that next phase of, uh, of opportunity really was. And uh, so, again, reinvented my life at, uh, at that juncture. And um, just, man, I'm telling you, you know, from, from writing books to now podcasting since 2009 and doing live events and you mentioned internet profits and so on, 
I, I don't know. I just I feel like I'm continually reinventing who I am and uh, I'm actually getting back into real estate with uh, with a new endeavor that I'm launching here in 2019. So it's um, it's it's just always an evolving journey. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, one of the things um, I'm thinking about <clears throat> as you make these decisions and, and like myself, you know, there's I got caught in that dot com bubble. It was it was literally we raised, you know, five we get five million dollars and became a hundred million dollar organization and <clears throat> I'm worth 47 million on on paper and then you over leverage yourself cuz you know that's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know any better. Yeah. And you don't listen to everybody cuz you know you sort you know your first time around you're like I got this. I know what I'm doing and private jets get in your head and different things and then all of a sudden the carpet gets taken out from under you and you feel like you're going back to selling speakers on the street. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I mean, lessons learned at the top, lessons learned at the bottom, hopefully. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> but there had to be some, you mentioned your mom, which I, she's a delight, by the way. She called me uh, a few months ago and she was like, my son, Steve said I should call you. I, <laughs> I, I need some help. And so she's just a delightful lady. And so uh, I, I just love her. And so, Good. And so, so there's other people uh, is there other people that maybe you want to mention that helped with the pivoting part? Because I think that's the that's the part that people have the toughest time with. But there's people in our lives, and and for me, that I should have listened to and I didn't. And then there's people that I listened to that gave me great advice that allowed me to pivot and reinvent at that point. Yeah, you know, I've been um, I've been kind of a, a, a loner in a lot of ways uh, for the majority of my life. I've never been one of those people to have like you know those huge groups of, of friends. It's just not it's just not me. I've always kind of been jealous of, of those folks that have those big groups of friends. They go on those big party vacations together, you know, and all that. Like that's just that's just never been my seen a couple of, you know, really good close friends. And that's, uh, that's kind of how I roll. But the point being, um, like I've never had this big network of people that I've been able to, to turn to. I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's uh, sometimes it's, it's worked to my benefit without having the, uh, the guidance and input from others, right. And relying on their perspective. And, and of course, sometimes it's, Work to my detriment, where I could have avoided uh, probably a lot of brain damage and trials and tribulations. Um, but the, the the main mentor who helped in in a lot of ways over the years uh, was actually my grandfather. Oh. So my mom's dad, he was the original the uh, the original OE, not the original gangster, but the original <laughs> entrepreneur. Um, and and he um, he started. So you, I mean. Here in Chicago, so you know Formos Liquor Stores, and he started right. Formos Liquor Stores. Oh wow! Yeah. Back in uh, 1939, and so he always had the entrepreneurial bug. Mom went to work for him after my folks got divorced in '77, um, but he uh, he was the original entrepreneur and one of the first to ever franchise uh, anything. Like franchising didn't even really exist before he came on board and and just kind of brought that idea to the table. And there was a couple people doing it, but not, it wasn't at all like it is now. So, you know, it's, um, it, it's been an interesting trek over the years to, to, to just see how people like my grandfather dealt with adversity. And uh, I mean, the, the number of stories he could have shared would have been uh, off the charts there, but 
he um, he provided some really good input early on, not the least of which uh, is, you know, he gave me um, an understanding that y- y- we don't build monuments. And that was that was one of his uh, his mantras, if you will. And, and it really helped me to understand that in, today we would use the term pivot. Yeah. And to and yesterday it was more his line of thinking of we, we just don't build monuments and basically meaning you, you, you don't have to stay with something that you don't want to stay with from a business perspective. Right. And you, you don't have to say that this is something that is set in stone. And, and basically all he was saying is just be flexible, right? Be open to new ideas, be flexible, and if you get tired of, of whatever it is that you built and you feel like there's a better opportunity somewhere else, then by all means, go and go and pursue that. And that's, you know, it's really been a, a mantra that I've taken on um, for, for my entire adult uh, career anyway. And, and I will say that one of the things that I'm really, really good at uh, is helping people identify what I believe is their biggest opportunity because so much of what I see is that entrepreneurs or too many entrepreneurs are stepping over dollars to get to dimes yeah. and they're and they're missing out on their biggest opportunity. And so I think that's kind of where this whole reinvention thing came in is not only, of course, have I reinvented my life numerous times over the years, but I, but I have a propensity for being able to help people reinvent theirs. And really, it doesn't mean changing who you are. It really just kind of means getting back to the core, to the essence of what it is that you're naturally just brilliant at. And, and what you're, you know, in my book, What Is Your What, I talk about discovering the one is amazing thing you're really born to do. So it's really a matter of just identifying what that is and then pursuing that with strategic abandon. Yeah, I love that too. And um, <clears throat> it's interesting that uh, you made that statement about stepping over dollars to get to dimes. Do you think that's because um, we, we let too many voices in our head or do you think it's, it's our, it, you know, I mean, obviously we're developed from how we've grown up uh, or is it, is it maybe not having enough conversations along the way? What do you think causes that? Cause I think that's a big epidemic that's not spoke, you know, enough people don't talk about that. Yeah. You know, it, the reality for me is it's it's probably twofold. Um, number one, we do get caught up in, <clears throat> in looking at what other people deem as being important, right? And and you guys see this all the time in the social space and whatnot. You know, the the vanity metrics are are in, in you know, not not knocking the whole world of social, but I will say at the vanity metrics, I think do more harm than good for yeah, most. We agree. You know, where where you're focused on getting to ten thousand followers, or focused on getting to a hundred likes on a post, or this, that, and the other. And if you think about the amount of time that you invest in getting to those vanity metrics, you know it's a tremendous amount of time that you'll never get back, right? And for most mere mortals, getting to real numbers. Is really hard to do. I mean, if you've got a hundred million followers, like a Jenner or somebody like that, I mean, then my God, you got a business in a, in a you know in a button, right? I mean, just put something up, ask people to buy it, and they do. And of course, that's I mean, a tremendous platform to to have. 
But well, most people. Well, yeah, but that's no different than you and I growing up and the athletes that we grew up with that would hold up the Coke can or the NASCAR drivers that put stuff on their body. I think it's the new billboard, if you will, effect mm-hmm. of, of who we are. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I agree. And then look, reality is they had the platform. I mean, if you were the IndyCar driver, you had the IndyCar racing all the television cameras. I mean, if you were the athlete, you had the basketball in your hand and you had all the television cameras. I mean, it was just television, you know, some of the numbers on, on social, you know, rival that of what you see on traditional broadcast platforms now. Absolutely. So those, you know, those numbers were real then and they're real now for a select few, but Reality is, I think that we focus often as entrepreneurs just on the wrong things. And I run three multi-million dollar businesses and I work three days a week, right? So how do I do that? And, and really, it's just a matter of focusing on the most important elements of business on a consistent basis and understanding that I can work half as hard to make twice as much by simply focusing on where that biggest opportunity is, as opposed to all the guesswork that most entrepreneurs are, are unfortunately caught up in where they're just trying to throw everything that they can up against the wall to see what sticks. And fortunately, you know, I'm smart enough now to, to be able to turn to some, some pretty smart folks when needed. Uh, and I mean, I, one of the reasons why we started the show beyond eight figures uh, which exclusively features entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than $10 million uh, or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million annually. And part of the reason why I started that show uh, is to be able to build up this platinum Rolodex. And and it's really helped quite a bit. There are people who I've had on the show uh, that I now turn to uh, when needed. So it's it, it's evolved over time for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, I think I think far too many times, I like what you said, uh, because it, it's part of our philosophy. There is now four levels of influencers, of course, as anything evolves, so does influencer marketing. But there's micro and nano influencers now where you have smaller audiences with higher engagement. And, and brands are investing more at that level because the people are more real. You know, it's not, yeah. as, it's not as easy to get a Kylie Jenner, nor do you maybe want them associated with your brand. Yeah. You get a real person in your community or your neighborhood or your industry to, to really, uh, be, you know, be part of the brand, a believer, um, and, uh, and, and take it to that next level. So I like what you said about that because we believe in – it's not about how many followers you have. It's about how many relationships mm. you have, you know, the relationship of you and your community. So you may have, you know, 10,000 followers, but what are the, what are the core 100 look like the people that engage with you the most? And I think that's that. And actually we know for a fact that that's what the new tools are working on and things like that is to say, you know, it's, let's be real you know, let, let's be more real, let's be more connected, and let's have more relationships, which is where you and I came from, you know, to get to, to where we're at today. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And reality is, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that reinvention radio, which is a podcast uh, that we've been doing since 2009, off and on, and uh, mostly on now since 2015. Uh, and Beyond Eight Figures, which is the show that we launched in 2018, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we have, you know, 100 million downloads. Like, we, we don't get millions of downloads per episode. We're not Joe Rogan. I mean, we're, 
we're lucky if we're even in a conversation in our respective category. But I will tell you that, you know, the, the downloads that we have are enough to support the lifestyle that I want. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's ultimately the, the main question is what is it that you want versus what is it that you actually need? And when we get caught up in those vanity numbers, you know, again, that's, that's really just going after what it is that you think that you want as opposed to having clarity around what it is that you really need. And the, the truth is, I know people who have a hundred times the downloads that, that we do. And they, they, they'll be lucky to do 10% of the revenue that we'll do this year with the, with the you know, for lack of a better term, the Steve Olsher brand. Yeah. So, you know, they can't fill a room of 20 people. And, you know, why is that? And I think it just speaks to exactly the conversation that you were just uh, having there, which is just the quality of the relationships and the value that you bring to the table, uh, as opposed to just getting caught up in, in whatever those numbers are, which frankly are, are pretty darn meaningless. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. So, um, so I was, uh, you know, I'm a, uh, I grew up a street fighter. Jackson and I are both third degree black belts and, and you're a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I just saw another post that you did. You said you don't do as much on social media, but I do follow you. So I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that, you know? So, so, you know, as we, as we reinvent, as we pivot, as we go, you know, as we open up a new podcast, as you go back into real estate, um, how much do you think is, is, you know, how much did you get out of martial arts? I'm always curious to ask this if I know somebody that applies to the the way that you are today. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, right? So even as a kid, I had done taekwondo and those sort of things. So off and on over the years, I've always kind of had my hands and, and feet into into something as far as the martial arts go. Um, and, you know, the, the, the truth is, that there's always going to be someone that will hand your butt to you, yep. no matter how good you are. And there's always going to be someone that you can teach. Yep. And I just think that the, the experience of, of knowing that there's always going to be someone in front of you and someone behind you really just helps bring levity to, to, to life and business overall. You know, from the standpoint of, you know, if push comes to shove and I, and I got to put food on the table, I can work really hard and I can go sell speakers out of the back of a van or I can do whatever I got to do, right? To, right? to keep food on the table and to keep the lights on. But at the same token, you know, I also know that I, uh, you know, there's, there's only so much natural abilities that I have. I mean, I'm not a natural athlete. I'm not one of these guys that's going to, you know, just uh, just be able to step onto a, a mat or step into a ring and just, you know, just kill it. I mean, like, I'm just, that's just never been me, right? So, so what, what that does, that, that humility, that being humble, the, the understanding of, of kind of where I am on the totem pole, so to speak, is something that has allowed me to find happiness and to find contentment and to find fulfillment that, you know, frankly, I struggled with for, for a long time, but once, you know, again, it boils, it ties back to martial arts from the standpoint of just understanding that, you know, you're always going to be a student and you're always going to be a teacher. 
And to try to be any more than that is kind of an effort in futility. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and we have never, ever spoke about that. And uh, it's funny that we both picked that up and have carried that sort of every step of the way. <laughs> yes. We, yeah. And, <laughs> and, I, and I'll tell you, man, and you can probably appreciate this as well. And I don't know how active you are in terms of like, if you're still like full on striking and sparring and all that stuff, but it's, it's, I mean, it's me, it's me in a bag and a gym full of stuff, but that's, oh, there you go. <laughs> right. So, you know, in, in jujitsu, what I often say is like, you, you can't teach 20 year old strength. Like yeah. you can, you can have the best technique in the world, but you, you just can't teach 20 year old crazy. Like, you know, it's, it's just, there's something about it. And reality is like, you can, you can try to learn 20 year old crazy, but when you're almost, you know, I'll be 50 <laughs> this year. Now there's, there's no technique in the world that, that will combat 20 year old crazy, except for a bit of wisdom and, uh, and, and knowledge. Right. So yeah. it's, it's, it's funny. Uh, it's funny when I uh, when I first had gone to uh, work at a CPA firm, there was this this big out of shape partner that would uh, take us to the Hawks games in Greek Town, and and he loved to play racquetball. And I'm like, all right, I've never, you know, I played racquetball. I'll I'll, I'll bite. And he goes, uh, well, let's be tw- let's bet twenty bucks. And I'm like, okay, I'll bet twenty bucks for fun, you know. And so anyway, I would be running all over the court with that real young energy. Yeah. And this guy would just take two steps, boom, and take me out. Two steps, boom. And so he just knew exactly where the ball was going to be at any given moment. And yeah. I was just like, and I'm running like a crazy person in the best shape of my life, just about. And and I couldn't beat him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, there is definitely something to be said for for wisdom and maturity right and right. so maturity one of the things that i say is that you know maturity is is knowing that you have to seek out advice before making important decisions and wisdom is knowing which decisions are important yeah and so can you, you can know, you repeat that repeat that one more time <laughs> so so maturity is basically knowing that you you should and have to seek out advice before making important decisions. And and wisdom is knowing which decisions are really important. That's huge, man. That is yeah. huge. That's uh Emily, I hope you got that. That should be like five tweets right there. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you the meme. Yeah, right. Exactly. No, it's brilliant, man. That's what I always love about you. I always learn so much about you. And again, I always tell you, you know, I I follow your social media posts and you're always like, I don't do that much on social, but when you do it, I get a lot out of it, you know, so don't (laughs) stop what little you do. All right. You love your blog and your podcast. So that's right. Thank you. So, so speaking about podcast, we now, um, when did you, so 2009 was the first podcast, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did a series of shows for Reinvention Radio in 2009. Um, a little bit here and there over the years, and then 2015 uh, for Reinvention Radio uh, again went full board on it. So yeah, it's been off and on for about the last 10 years. Yeah. So so tell us a little bit, you know, because there's a lot of people that wrote in, they're listening, or they're obviously going to download this, and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking about doing a podcast because everybody thinks about doing a podcast. 
give us the the sort of the lowdown of what you've learned uh, and what you teach people. If you're thinking about doing a podcast, fill in the blank. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, look, first and foremost, when I started doing podcasting, it was very different than even when I launched the new show Beyond Eight Figures just a year ago or so. And back in the day, I did podcasting because I just, like radio has always sort of been the holy grail for me. Like I just, I, I love radio and I guess it's just cause I love to talk. Um, but you know, I really, I've always had a love for radio. So <clears throat> the way I was thinking about podcasting at that point was, you know, podcasting is basically the new broadcasting, you know, I mean, just kind of levels the playing field for all of us and gives us all the opportunity to have a, a microphone. And if we have a, a mission and a message, then we can reach the masses with it. Now, of course, masses is a relative term, but at least it's available to people no matter where they are. And back in the day, I mean, if you wanted to listen to a podcast, it was it was a lot more cumbersome than it is yes. now. I mean, you had to go through a series of steps to capture it and download it and listen to it and this, that, and the other. Well, and thank you, SoundCloud, for being a pioneer in the day. <laughs> right? And, <laughs> and, you know, now you look at the dashboards of cars and it's easier to listen to a podcast on the dashboard of a Apple CarPlay or Google CarPlay enhanced uh, vehicle and it is even to listen to AM and FM radio, right? I mean, it's just a push of a button right there on the dash. So what's happened is the, the space, of course, has become a lot more crowded, which means that if you just had a general show, like a general business show or something of that nature, back in the day, you could find a pretty decent audience because there weren't a lot of options. So there are, there are some of the people out there right now who have shows that, frankly, if they launch today, those shows which are, are really popular now, they wouldn't have nearly the traction because let's just say they're not the best interviewers, they're not the best shows. I mean, we don't have to name names here, right. but they, they benefit from the ascending spiral of when you have a show that people listen to, you show up in the rankings. When you show up in the rankings, then new people find that show. And when new people find that show, you move up in the rankings. And as you move up in the rankings, people find the show and it becomes this ascending spiral. Breaking into that ascending spiral right now is really hard. You know, when you got NPR and New York Times and the Washington Post and ESPN and, you know, Will Ferrell and everybody and their mother going all in on podcasting, you're just, you're just not going to compete. So what I, what I would say is if you're, <clears throat> if you're going to do a show now, one of the things that you really have to, to give consideration to is why are you doing it? Right. Like, I, like you literally need to start with whatever that end in mind is for you. And if it's just because you want to, um, you know, catalog your life chronicles, then great. If it's because you want to sit down with some pretty cool folks, then great. But if you're thinking about it from a business perspective, then, you know, I, I really do think that you have to, to look at it from the perspective of what is your profit path? in terms of your, per, your business profit path and that customer journey that you want people to go on as they go from point A to point B and not knowing about you to knowing about you to becoming familiar with you to entering into your ecosystem and then what happens from that point forward. So you have to be really clear on what your profit path is and what that last step is on the path that someone can take with you and work backwards from that and make sure that, the, that your show supports whatever that particular initiative is for you in your business. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, what was pop coming up for me, just because I know your material and your 
uh, and you is a lot of times I'll tell people that come to me, I'm like, you should, you should actually get Steve's book. What is your what? Because to me, it's like, that's almost that definition of yourself, um, of, of finding that thing and then making sure that you tie it because it's a labor of love. I mean, it's not, you know, we work besides doing this show. And like you, I, I got the bugs working on WLS radio here in Chicago. And I was like, man, it was like after a couple of years of doing that, I wanted to to have my own format, but then it, I didn't have 20 grand a month in sponsorship dollars to get yeah. it out of the gate, you know? Yeah. But then when this happened, I was like, well, I'm a teacher, I'm an educator. And these started out as coaching sessions, lunch and learns every Wednesday. And all we did was flip the switch and, you know, make it a, a mission-driven podcast to help people get inspired and educated to, yeah. to build their own influence. So, so but it took a long time for us to get there. And it sounds like you went through that journey as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, it really just boils down to why are you doing the show? Right. I mean, from, again, from the perspective of beyond eight figures, I'm doing it simply because I want to build my Rolodex of people that I can connect with. And I want to be able to learn from folks. And I really want to be able to just have this, uh, this, this network of people, right, that I, can, that I can turn to. And when you sit down with somebody for an hour, and especially when you do it on video, you know, like we're doing here, you really get to know someone. And in that short period of time, you can figure out pretty quickly if that's your kind of person, if you want to, you know, if you would take an email from them, if you would take a call from them, you know, and, and so a lot can happen in an hour. You can cover a lot of ground. And, and so again, it just really just boils down to why is it that you're, that you're doing the show? I mean, from my perspective, one of the things that we teach, we've got a a year long program called icon maker, where we help people put their new media machines in place and help them launch their podcasts and build out their funnel and uh, help them create their, their online course and so on. It all really begins with the brand. And so one of the things that I'm a huge proponent of is if you're going to launch a show, it has to be brand aligned from the standpoint of actually I, I even like my personal recommendation nowadays is if the name of your show also reflects the name of your online course, that's, that's a winner, right? Like I'm releasing a new podcast in the fall that'll be called closing from the stage. Nice. And, and that ties into the, the course that we're releasing called closing from the stage. Right? So those two ideally go hand in hand because ultimately you can provide a lot of great value, but the, you know, the call to action needs to be something that it's, it's an investment, right? It's an investment of your time. It's an investment of your energy, investment of your resources. You, you need to see an ROI on that. So closing from the stage as an example, will I mean, we'll sit down with, leading closers and they'll share their tactics and strategies and shortcuts for being able to, you know, really just uh, move people to take their desired action from the stage and, you know, they'll go into depth and uh, and all this fun stuff. And then of course the call to action uh, for us at the end of the show and at the beginning of the show too, for that matter is, you know, go get closing from the stage of the program, right? Obviously we've just touched on this, go get that. It goes a hundred percent deeper into all of this, that, and the other. Right. And so anyway, the point being, I think today you have to be really clear on, uh, on sort of that nano market, if you will, as you said, and being that nano influencer in a very small market 
And, you know, if we get, if we get 50 downloads in episode and those people are all interested in learning how to close from the stage, they're tuning in and we get, you know, one person out of every, uh, every show to enroll in our $2,000 program. You know, that's a decent sponsor for an hour of our, of, of our time. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's great advice. And, um, I think people need to hear it too. A lot of times they're like, you know, they start, their mind goes to, well, what equipment should I get? And, you know, what should I buy? And this and that. And I'm like, <laughs> back up, man. Yeah. Go get what, what is your what and go, go study and determine who you are and what drives you. Cause this is going to be a journey. This yeah. isn't like a freaking light switch. So. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> oh man. Well, um, you know, as always, I always learn so much from you. So uh, before we ask the audience some key takeaways for them, um, people that are thinking about, um, you know, because I think the podcast part is a little bit about reinventing yourself too, you know, in a way, because uh, it's part of the journey. Um, what what sort of takeaways do you have for people that uh, just, you know, are on the bubble of making a decision to, and whether it's a podcast or not, but they're just thinking about, man, it's like, am I, am I doing the right thing? Am I in the right spot? Is this is what I was meant to be? Cause I think we all get in that question. Yeah. So, so what would your nugget of advice be for them to just get, Hey, do this. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot of hours in the day. Right. And so what I would say is if you're sort of in that transitionary period of not really being clear on if you're doing the right thing, you know, number one, don't quit the, you know, don't quit the day job, right? Don't, don't cut off your nose with spite your face there. So let someone else fuel your transition and, and fund your transition, right? So whatever it is that you're doing, don't, don't stop doing that now. But in those off hours, you know, it's a lot of hours in the day, you can either spend your time or you can invest your time. I mean, most of us are spending a lot of time. If you watched every episode of Game of Thrones, you spent a lot of your time, you know, I mean, that was not time invested. I watched every episode of Game of Thrones. So believe me, I understand what it's like to spend your time. But what I'll say to you is, you know, just be really aware of where your time is going. And in the off hours, whether it's before work, you wake up another half hour earlier, or it's after work and you turn off Game of Thrones or those sort of things, or it's on the weekends, just really dive into what it is that you think you might really be compelled to do. And let's see what sort of traction you end up gaining. Right. Because the, the God's honest truth is that you may find that what it is that you think you want to do actually doesn't bring you much fulfillment at all. And then you may find that what it is that you think you want to do actually is something that you really love. Yeah. So you, you just dip your toe in the water and get started and then, you know, put your foot in and put your leg in. And before you know it, I mean, you're swimming laps. Right. But yeah. you, you just you got to immerse yourself as much as you can in whatever that world is that you think is more attractive than the world you're playing in now and, and start working with those that you believe you are most compelled to serve, you know, and, and if you can be clear on who the people are that you're most compelled to serve and you start serving them, uh, amazing things really can happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for being on the program today. Yeah, you know, look, we um, we we help quite a bit, obviously, in the in the podcasting world. I mean, not only do I have my own shows, but I mean, we've got a 
an event where we give people the opportunity to meet 40 top podcasters uh, and we give everyone the microphone to take center stage uh, to pitch the podcasters on who they are and what they do. And, and they literally get booked on the spot. So uh, that's an event called the New Media Summit. And we do that a couple of times a year in San Diego. Uh, so I certainly recommend people checking that out, especially if they want to dip their toe in the podcast world by being a guest on a show first. Um, the average person who comes to the New Media Summit leaves with 12 bookings in hand. So you'll you'll get booked on a bunch of shows there. Uh, and that'll give you an opportunity to see if the podcasting world is something that you really do enjoy. Uh, and so, yeah, be a guest on shows first. You can come to the New Media Summit. Uh, and then to that end, if you want to connect with top podcasters, uh, maybe grab uh, a copy of, uh, of a pretty awesome resource that we put out, which is called the Ultimate Directory of Podcasters. Uh, and that gives you detailed contact information, including the email address uh, of 670 top podcasters. And so you can grab that. Uh, actually, if you just um, if you just text the word Olsher, so my last name, O-L-S-H-E-R, if you just text Olsher, to the number 44222, uh, you can grab a free copy of that. So just text Olsher, my last name, to the number 44222, and you can grab a free copy. We normally sell for 297 bucks, uh, yeah, but you can grab a free copy of yeah, that. And it's really nicely organized by industry, too. So you guys did a really nice job on that resource. So Thank you. Yeah, nice job. So, so Jackson, what did you get out of this, youngster? I mean, come on, you got a couple of... Uh, uh, senior marketing guys talking here and yapping. What did you get out of the thing besides Game of Thrones? Yeah, which I actually just started. So I'm really glad you didn't spoil that. <laughs> yeah, everybody dies, Jackson. No, I know. Well, actually, so I did. Uh, my buddy like got me hooked on it. He's like, just watch this episode, dude. You're going to love it. But the episode he wanted me to watch was like the second to last episode of the series. Oh, nice. So I watched it and I was like, this is amazing. So I know everything already, but I still need to know how it happens. Like, yeah, how they get but, um, but yeah, I think the coolest thing or the most, the biggest thing that resonated with me was, uh, you know, the Taekwondo jujitsu, uh, reference that you made. Cause that's something I did and still do is, uh, you know, that there's always going to be someone that's better than you, but you can't let that like, throw you you know what I mean you can't let that like you got to get back up you know you got to get back out there and you gotta that's at least what it meant to me when you you know getting back up and being able to teach you know others what you know what you can do you know because I mean you you can't do everything and I I really like that you said that and I, I feel like that's a big thing that uh you know holds a lot of people back so yeah, that's cool. Thank you for that. And then a lot of people are chiming in, immersing myself and what I think I want to do uh, and and really uh, being, I think, curious and, and a discoverer, you know, curious. It's almost like your inner child is what I was thinking about, Steve, when you were talking about that. It's like, let your inner child play, you know, with, with and be curious about other things. And Julie says the strongest thing was the people uh, you're most uh, compelled uh, to serve. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and I'll say this also that we, we live in a, in a pretty fun place from the standpoint of the government actually rewards risk as, I mean, as, as strange as that sounds, we're, we're one of the few countries in the, in the world where 
you actually can take a risk, put yourself out there. And if everything blows up, you're still fairly protected from the standpoint of bankruptcy laws. You know, I mean, it's like there, there's, and I'm not encouraging it. I mean, I've been on the verge of bankruptcy uh, twice in my career. I did not have to file for bankruptcy, but you know, it is interesting that so many of us are, are risk adverse. And, and I'll tell you that, you know, it's, it, there's only so far you can fall, you know, I mean, it's, it's so many of us are, are risk adverse and we've got a thousand dollars in the bank. It's like, what, what are you afraid of losing the thousand bucks? You know, lose a thousand bucks and and file for bankruptcy, and the government will help you. It's like we're just we're we're in. Uh, it's just a it's a mindset shift, you know. And it really and and I really live by the the mantra of the the old Latin uh, expression, Latin phrase of, of fortune favors the bold. Right. And it and it's true, you know. And here in in the states you really have an opportunity to be protected uh, through the bankruptcy laws if, if everything just goes to hell in a handbasket, which it very seldomly does. And, and the, the opportunity for reward is so much greater than what can possibly happen to you if, if things don't go as you envision. And I think we lose sight of, of the fact that, you know, you can fall this far or you can rise this far. You know, and it's just a, it's com- there's a complete disconnect between you know how much we can suffer ver- versus how much we can gain. Yeah, there you go. I love it. Well, Jackson, who's our winners today? Yeah, so today in the Zoom uh, platform we have Julie Clark. Julie. And then uh, in the Facebook group we have Greg DeKalb. Greg, okay, way to go, Greg. All right. So uh, that's awesome. And so remember, it's your mandate. Uh, You have the strongest mission amongst all of our listeners that you must take that Starbucks gift card and treat someone and then teach them with what Steve taught you today. Okay. And make sure they know about Steve's website. Uh, Make sure they know about the things that he offers. He has a tremendous amount of value that he allows each and every person to have. So please make sure that you take care of somebody else with that. And, and you will be taken care of forever, okay? And that, that really makes you the influencer of who you were meant to be. So Steve, from all of us here at the Social Jack family and the Influence Factory, we want to thank you. And as always, we learned so much from you. And uh, I can't wait to uh, meet you either uh, back here at Wrigley Field or uh, <laughs> there in yeah, San man. Diego when I get out there. Uh, yep, sounds my- good. Appreciate you having me on. All right, man. Thanks again, Jackson. And thanks to all of you out there. And we will see you online. Take care, folks. Thank you for listening to the Influence Factory podcast. We welcome feedback and suggestions. You can provide these by visiting our website at www.myinfluencefactory.com. And if you are interested in Social Jack's 90 Days to Influence program, you can simply go to 90daystobusinessinfluence.com and simply ask for the next steps. While our program airs regularly on Zoom webcasts and Facebook Live on Wednesdays at noon central, we invite you to download episodes on your favorite channel, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and who knows where else in the future. We will also provide occasional on-location live streams with special guests that we will announce in our community Facebook group. Business Influencer Alliance, as well as on all Social Jack channels. Our mission is to help you build your digital business influence, 
With this podcast, as well as inspire, educate, and entertain those who are hungry to collaborate in a cool place with cool business professionals just like you. 